Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, here we go. Spreading the court, 10 seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the truth for the win. Good. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it off in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus. This is the College Basketball Weekend Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me as always is BJ Cunningham. We have a lot to get to. We have PD Buckets. We're going to be talking some A-10. Got to catch up on Davidson, the Richmond and St. Bonaventure's disappointment. Davidson streaking, a lot to get to there. We'll have the three-man weave and our weekend or I should say Friday night six-pack later in the show. BJ and I will also go through Saturday's spots that we have circled. BJ, before we get to everything, uh, first, how are you? Are you recovered from that brutal Iowa loss on that foul call? You know, it's funny. It's uh, Iowa finally plays a good game defensively, and they only score 46 points and some phantom foul on Keegan Murray happens. And, yeah, it's that was terrible. But you know what? Iowa State got blown out, so that made me happy too. So, you know, you get one and you give one, I guess. Did Fran go nuts I didn't, after the game? I don't, I don't remember. I was recording a di- another podcast while it was going on, so I, didn't, I only saw the foul call at the very end. But uh, I'm sure he went ballistic, you know, like he usually does. Yeah, I didn't see anything. Maybe Fran is uh, – eh, No, he hasn't calmed down back. yet. <laughs> you know, I'm a very passionate person. Everybody in this room knows and understands that. And we live in a very competitive environment. All right, well, we'll get to kind of a, a – one big takeaway from the week as well. But first, let's bring in a special guest. We have a, a couple guests today, one that you're very familiar with. We won't keep him long. Uh, Mr. Colin Wilson, checking in outside of college football. And he'll, he'll check in with us a few times throughout the year. Maybe we'll have him on every week. But first, uh, Colin, how's that post-college football world treating you? Woo, pig suey. Colin's talking Razorback basketball. Since the Georgia won the national championship, I've had my head buried in numbers watching the transfer portal and happy to report like literally within the last 30 minutes, the TARP rankings are done and you don't want to be Iowa State or Oklahoma State. You do want to be BYU. Uh, so football, college football, that transfer portal, it's the new NBA stuck. It's like that J- July 1st NBA free agency and like there's there's so much movement 
but I have been keeping my eye on Arkansas. And for those of you with not, yeah, that's why we brought you on Arkansas basketball. Look, they hit a real lull and were struggling. They switched up the lineup. You know, they got Musselman out of there in surgery. I think that was key. Just kidding. But they switched up the lineup. Had had that huge win over Missouri that seemed to have created uh, a spark here. They beat LSU, and then you know they backed that up with a big second half against South Carolina. So, what should we look at when we're looking at this Arkansas team? Is it a team that should continue to ascend? Are there other bigger problems with them? Where do you stand with them? I am hot and cold on these guys. And the reason is because Arkansas didn't get hot until the last week of January last year. They played this great non-conference schedule. Almost everybody they played made the tournament. They tried to muscle in, And, you know, I know he's in a sling. Don't pick on him. And he's a great halftime adjuster. But this team is absolutely horrendous from the three-point line. And they're horrendous in defending the three-point line. And the reason that they're winning ballgames now is because they've gone back to fundamentals defense. It has nothing to do with their shooting. My favorite part of Stuggy's Twitter is free throw defense, but Arkansas gets to the free throw line at a huge rate. Uh, They hit about 74%, which is really good for us, but that's it. There's no outside presence. If J.D. Note is off, there's just nothing. And, and, you know, J.D. Note got into the press conference after we just beat South Carolina, and, and you know, nothing's changed with this Muscleman team. Get down by double digits after 10 minutes. They're a perfect live bet at Bud Walton Arena. They come back and they win in the second half. But Note said, we're not a three-point shooting team. We're not a jump shooting team. We are an all 100% attack the rim. And I listen, I love the must-bus. I'm wearing my must-bus shirt. You have to think this team comes around from a shooting perspective. I think they're 328th in three-point percentage right now, but they just don't have it. Besides Note, they have no other shooters. I mean, you've got your... Tony, you're transferring from Pitt. He's the the paint worker. You've got Mude, Stanley Mude is now getting over 30 minutes. He's working in the paint. So it's a typical grinding muscleman team, but I'm waiting stuck until we get to, if you look at Ken Palm, we are favored to win the next five games. So if you're playing a futures market with Arkansas, you don't want to just jump on a futures now and you're supposed to win five straight. But if you look at Ken Palm after that, Arkansas is supposed to lose seven of eight, their final eight. Now, the good news is, in the net, they just you know put some big quad one wins up right now. And I think what's important is people should realize that Bud Walton Arena matters. It gets really loud. It has an effect. Last three home games, Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, quad one games, they will matter. Arkansas will be on the bubble. They'll probably be one of the last four in. But I think if you're going to buy a futures, you're probably going to wait until that stint, which is February 19th. So I would say mid-February you're probably going to have a good saturated market after they play Auburn and Alabama, two teams that can shoot the three and beat them in transition. You'd want to take a future after that, but I am not near as high as that elite eight team from last year. All right. Well, it was nice uh, catching up on the hogs. We'll, we'll have to bring you back closer to the, I mean, we'll, we'll probably have you back weekly. So we'll get more updates whenever you're available. Um, we can have you on on Fridays. And after that streak, we'll take we'll, that, that run of games. We'll reevaluate where Arkansas stands, but uh, just wanted everyone to uh, hear your voice and you'll be back and get back to that tarp and we'll catch up with you soon. Bro. <laughs> thanks. Peace out guys. See you later. All right, brother. All right. Thanks Colin for joining us. Uh, yep. So BJ, let's get right into it. Let's, let's start with the week that was one key takeaway besides uh, how brutal those refs were for yeah. Iowa at the end ruining that yeah. game. Well, the biggest one I had was, you know, we've talked about the ACC quite a bit and my question with Florida state upsetting Duke, upsetting Duke, are they, the team that's going to start challenging them in the ACC in terms of, you know, the conference standings and everything like that. You know, this is a classic Leonard Hamilton team. They're turning people over to high rate with their length and athleticism. They're killing teams on the offensive glass. They had 19 offensive boards against Duke and turned them over 15 times, but they just don't shoot the ball at a very high level right now. 
now that this weekend, obviously they had a, a sleepy game against North, North Florida today at noon, but now they have Miami in South Florida this weekend, which is going to be a huge game to decide really who's that next first place. Unit. First place is on first the line. place. That's right. Exactly. So this weekend is going to be huge to find out, to figure out, you know, which is that team because Miami, they just pasted North Carolina in the and won at Duke. They won at Duke too. and they won at Duke. So, and you know, these two teams obviously played uh, very a short while ago, maybe like a week and a half ago and Florida yeah. state barely won by one. So it's, I I'm very interested to see this weekend. What, what happens with that game? That's, that's going to be fascinating. And then just the Illinois Purdue game was one of the best games of the year so far. And those yeah, two teams I think are the upper echelon of the big 10 right now. Coburn was really disappointing. I mean, mm-hmm. he was getting a beautiful. was actually pretty good though. I mean, yeah, especially for his first game back, there's a lot of questions about him and turnovers and he made a lot of key plays and, if they get him back with their shooting, man, I mean, I, Illinois yeah. Plumber and company, they could shoot. But if they can, if he could consistently play like that, it's just that Coburn seems like if he goes up against someone just as big as him, he kind of, you know, it's easy for him to dominate these teams that, that don't have the same size as him. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was a fantastic game. My big takeaway from the week is uh, you have to go to, the, I think, the biggest win of the week, and that's Marquette, who won at, look, Villanova has, hadn't lost a home game in conference not at the Wells Fargo, on campus since – they've lost one game since 2014. Oh my and that was against Butler in 2017. And Marquette pulls off that win, just an enormous win that's going to go a long way for Marquette. Villanova had been rolling. Obviously had some shooting regression on, on the defensive side coming. But uh, I was uber impressed by that Marquette win. That's not fluky to get a win at Nova in that building. So shout to the Golden Eagles. We have a lot to get to. Like I said, we have Friday night. We have our Friday night six pack with three men. We've, I'll get to an interview I did earlier in the day with PD Buckets on the A10 later in the show. So let's dive right into it. Let's start with your buy low spot of the weekend. Yeah, this is more of a kind of a buy low spot, kind of looking forward, I would say. I think Nebraska is a team that's going to be a live dog uh, going forward. They've obviously been horrible so far this season. They haven't beaten a team inside the Ken Palm top 200. But the last game against Indiana, they you really can make a case that they maybe should have came back and won that game. They hung in there the whole time. They've been pretty good in Lincoln. They took Ohio State to overtime. They hung with Purdue for 30 minutes. They have a couple scores in Verge and McGowan's. You know, it's it's a team that, look, listen, they can't defend the three to save their life. They can't shoot the three to save their life. And they're a horrible rebounding team. But there's a couple spots coming up where they have Wisconsin and Rutgers, which are two teams at both both of those at home that really won't be able to, you know, shoot the three on them and are not that great of rebounding teams. So Nebraska, they've been really, really bad. They haven't done a Big Ten win yet, but I do think that they'll be a good underdog play going forward, especially in Lincoln. Yeah, I don't mind that, uh, especially as they search for their first Big Ten win. Right, mm-hmm. no one wants to bet Nebraska. So, like, there's there's a lot of good teams in the Big Ten. So, I think that you you can get them in spots where they have value. I think Tuesday against Wisconsin and Rutgers are both good ones. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked if they won either one of those games. But this is still going to be a hungry team as they search for their first Big Ten win. So, yeah, I don't hate that call at all. I have to go. Look, and this one is is brutal. But I, I think I have to buy low on Texas. They just lost at home to Kansas State. Before that, you know, they lose in a disappointing game at Iowa State. But, I mean, Iowa State, pretty pretty fortunate in that game. And then, you know, they two games before that, 
they lost to Oklahoma State on the road by 13. Just a, a really poor performance. You got a revenge spot here. You got Texas off two losses, including a horrible home loss to Kansas State. Although Kansas State's been playing a lot better now and fully healthy. But Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, it's worth mentioning this Texas team, you know, they had some COVID. They've had guys in and out of the lineup. So as far as like the perception and market value, like this is pro- close to the low, I think, as you're going to get with them. And Oklahoma State, you know, it's a team that can't go to the postseason, right? They can't go to the NCAA tournament this year. So I think in like bad spots, uh, they, it's just, you know, they're not going to like fight. So I think if they're getting like blown out, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the, they're both three, they're three and three in the Big 12. Texas is three and three. Oklahoma State's three losses, West Virginia by 10, Texas Tech by 21, and Kansas by 11. And then Texas's three wins were, you know, Kansas State by 13, West Virginia by 15, and Oklahoma by 14. So I can see if Texas, like, comes out of the gates firing, Oklahoma State, I think, just goes away. This is a fully focused max effort spot for Texas at home in a revenge spot, just a game they really need. Projected spread on Kempom is like seven. I would love to get that. I think Texas wins by double digits here. And, you know, they force a lot of turnovers. Oklahoma State will cough off the ball a ton. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good spot to buy low on Texas. If they can't get this done here, uh, I mean, yeah. uh, major problems, major problems for Beard. So that's my look on buy low. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Anyone you're looking to sell this weekend or moving forward? Yeah, this one's a bit ugly. I'm going to sell high on Davidson. This weekend they're playing four. Oh boy! On oh, the road, boy. I know this is this is this is going to be a tough one. But it's a, it's a sandwich. I'm the president. Fight. I'm the president of the Fade Davidson fan club, and uh, <laughs> we we our meetings we hold them under a bridge. We're all homeless. Yeah. We warm yeah. up. We have like fires. We burn trash. And uh, mm-hmm. sounds like you're interested in joining. So we'll. It's, we'll it sounds like a great time, honestly, because that's where I'm probably going to end up after this game. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. Fordham's not that great of a team, but they are a decent defense. They defend the three well and everything. Their offense just is terrible. But Davidson, they're second in the country. They're just in three-point percentage. They're shooting the absolute lights out, over 42% from behind the arc. But there is no way they can keep this type of pace up, given the quality of shots that they have. And defensively, they do have some flaws. You know, they're, they allow 35% from behind the arc. They don't rebound the ball that well. Offensively, they're in the they're outside the top 280 in both offensive rebounding and free throw rate. You know, they're bottom 20% in college basketball and points per possession allowed in half court man-to-man defense. They're soft on yeah, defense. Coming off a, a two-point win on the road at BCU. Then they're gonna have to play them again next week. This is a, a, a weird sandwich spot for them. They also have the Bonnies uh, you know, I believe on in in the hole uh, coming up in a few weeks. Pretty much the definition of a sandwich spot. We sure have a lot of sandwiches, 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 sandwiches. Ken Palm is spread projected at minus eight right now. I hope it's eight uh, and I'll be probably plugging my nose and, and taking uh, the Rams. Yeah. I mean, Fordham was missing it. Antonio day is out for the year, yeah. which is a big loss, but yeah, the spot, I can't, cannot disagree with you. Um, I don't know if I'm going to build up the courage, but like, like they Davidson beat Richmond on the road on a, a buzzer beater mm-hmm. and then they beat vcu uh on the road same city they do that in the la- in the final seconds they were down six i think they finished the game on an 8-0 run late like two of mo- huge conference road wins uh and then you go up to fordham so it is for sure uh, a sleepy spot in saturday afternoon in rose hill gym in new york so yeah can't disagree with the spot for my sell high spot 
I'm going to go with Texas Tech. And Ooh. it's really, a, it's more, mainly Again. a buy. It's kind of a buy low. But Texas Tech's treated me well. Like last week, when I wrote up these spots, piece, last week I had Kansas State, and then I wrote up, all right, we're betting them against Iowa State. And then they blow out Iowa State. Now they, you know, everything is right again in Red Raider land. And now they're going to be, I don't know, seven, eight point, hopefully eight point favorites at home against West Virginia. Good spot to get West Virginia off back-to-back losses. They played Baylor tough. They just couldn't make a layup. And they cannot make layups this year for whatever reason. I assume they're eventually going to start falling. But they have guys who can make jumpers. And they can live in the mid-range a little bit. Similar defense to Baylor. So I think that's a good, like, precursor game. This core in West Virginia – they won a ton of road games in the Big 12 last year. I mean, they beat everyone in the league, including Texas Tech. They swept Texas Tech, and they scored at will against the Red Raiders in both meetings. Noon start kind of subdues that elite Texas Tech Lubbock home court advantage a little bit, which I think will help West Virginia here. West Virginia is not turning it over much, which also helps against Texas Tech. Texas Tech does have a little bit of turnover issues. They also struggle at the line. I'll I, – Big time, which is really important in these games that are like seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight, nine. Because if it's like a seven, eight, nine, ten point game late and West Virginia fouls and it hits a three, and then you miss, you split, you miss the one, the front ends. Because um, these are two teams that also like to get to the line. Texas Tech is failing a lot more frequently, so I mean, you could see Texas Tech being in like the, just a one on one late, and that's those can swing covers. So I think it's a good spot to get. Texas Tech here. And by the way, Texas Tech just beat Iowa State, got their revenge, came out, everything looked great. They got Kansas on Monday for mm-hmm. a shot at first place. So this is kind of uh, a little bit of a sleepy spot at noon on Saturday. So let's go with the ears and love it there. All right. Uh, can't be a Saturday slate without a home dog. You got a home dog on your radar for Saturday. I- I do. And we'll see if this ends up being a home dog because uh, this team got bet pretty hard in the market today. But I like Stephen F. Austin at home uh, against New Mexico State. Uh, Ken Palm has the line at minus two for New Mexico State right now. They're playing Sam Houston State tonight. They're about uh, four and a half point favorites. It's kind of a tricky spot for them. So we'll see what happens. And Stephen F. Austin is hosting Grand Canyon. So, but as it stands, you know, right at the second before, you know, those, those games happen, this is a really good spot uh, for the Lumberjacks. They get out and transition a ton. They spend about 20% of their possessions there, and they have around a 62% effective field goal percentage. New Mexico State is a little worse in transition defense than they are in the half court. Stephen F. Austin also gets the line uh, top 45 in free throw rate and also offensive rebounding percentage. So it's a decent matchup for them. And then on the flip side, Stephen F. Austin's 28th uh, in the country in turnover rate, while New Mexico State is 288th in turnover percentage offensively. New Mexico State uh, has won 14 games, might be 15 after they play Sam Houston State tonight. This will be back to uh, two road games and two nights for pretty much the first time this season. If you look at their shot quality record, they're the sixth luckiest team in the country right now. So I think this is a great spot for, I think what will end up being maybe a new little new rivalry with uh, Stephen F. Austin moving over to the WAC. So I I love the Lumberjacks here. And we'll see what happens in the game against Grand Canyon tonight. It might they might have end up winning and you know New Mexico State might end up might end up losing. And then, you know, Stephen Fawson's a one or two point favorite. But I really do like the Lumberjacks at home, getting back to back road games against good teams or back to back home games, home games against uh Grand Canyon and New Mexico State. Yeah, I like this one too. I have action on all these games tonight, actually. So like I I, I want to thread the needle somehow because I would like New Mexico State to win. Mm-hmm. But I have Sam Houston State plus five. Yeah, so I, I do to win a close game. 
it, I think that these games, they could play into what we see Saturday, but from a spot perspective, travel matchup, uh, I don't hate it at all. My home dog. Yeah. Maybe I guess this, there'll be a home dog here. I don't know for sure, but let's go Pacific against San Diego. <laughs> they're now they're on a COVID pod. Like they, they got a couple games canceled for COVID. So there could be lineup issues. I think there'll be a, a small home dog here. San Diego plays BYU tonight. Maybe. I mean, if they can pull off a, a, a stunner, obviously that could impact the line, but Pacific they've been, I would argue the unluckiest team in the country. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the high, maybe the highest positive regression candidate. They're five and eleven on the year. You mentioned shot quality. Shot quality has them as a projected record of ten and six. They're they're five and eleven. There's <laughs> two and thirteen against the spread because teams simply can't miss against them. They are the LSU of the West. See, like teams are, uh, you know, opponents have shot on the uh, the other other end of the spectrum. You know, no one can make a three or free throw against LSU. And again, it happened against Alabama. Yeah. Uh, everyone doesn't matter who you are. Everyone makes free throws and threes when you play Pacific. Teams are shooting thirty nine point three percent from three and seventy seven point two percent from the line. That's bo- their bottom ten in both. So that's one of the reasons why they're two and thirteen against the spreads. Five straight losses. It's a team that shouldn't be this bad. I think it's a good spot. Regression candidate. Uh, San Diego. You know they've been off preparing for this game all week while San Diego is going to BYU tonight. Yeah, it's gross, but this is probably the bottom of the market for Pacific. So, yeah, you know, I might wait. We'll see. I'm going to look into, you don't, you never know when these teams come back from after a couple games of COVID, it's like, all right, who's out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this is the spot Pacific really big positive regression candidate. Let's let's talk quickly about Auburn, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's the game of the day. It's just a great sports day. Full college basketball. Game. You got Auburn, Kentucky leading into NFL playoffs in the best NFL weekend of the year. Kentucky goes to Auburn for SEC bragging rights. These are two legit national title contenders. They're both top 10 in the net. They're both top 10 in Ken Palm. They're, I have them both in the top 10 of my power ratings. Should be a fantastic game. I think Ken Palm projects us at like three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the ballpark of like two and a half, three and a half, but I'm, I've been really high on Kentucky. I've just been re- moving Auburn up and up and up my power ratings but i i think the market might i don't know i could see this being like four or five i don't know i'm curious to see where the market opens this and then takes it what do you see here and are you looking for either side or total uh yeah so i'm this is just a fascinating matchup for a lot of reasons so you have kentucky who is kind of getting a little lucky with regression you could say the last two games you know they shot the lights out against tennessee when 11 of 18 from behind the arc. And then Texas A&M goes one of 22 from behind the yeah, arc against them this, this week. So you, you could say there's some aggression coming for Kentucky, but you know, the biggest question I have in this one is can Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler keep cheap off the, off the boards. Yeah. And I don't know if they're going to be able to, for those who don't know, Shibway is number one in the country in both offensive and defensive rebounding percentage. So he's, quite literally the best rebounder in the country by a quite a wide margin. Auburn is a very, very good defensive team. They're eighth in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. They're fifth in shot qualities, adjusted defensive efficiency. They're really good defending inside. They're 10th and two point. Yeah. You can't get any, anything at the yeah. rim. But, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Kessler, yeah. Walker Kessler, the seven, one transfer, highly prized recruit. And then Jabari right. Smith, for those not familiar with Jabari Smith, uh, freshman six ten. He's also shooting 43% from three, 
many project him to be the number one pick in the draft, and mm-hmm. then you have outstanding guards. I mean, it's a it's a, a national title contender, but get right. You know, and all that's great. You know, defending inside everything, but Auburn is 153rd in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. So all of that that was great. You know, field goal metrics and defending at the rim, all that just kind of gets thrown away if you can't keep Sheboy off the boards. So it, it'll be very interesting to see how that matchup goes. The question I have is, you know, can Kentucky shut down Auburn's three-point barrage? You know, Kentucky has been very good defending the three-point shot, maybe a little bit of regression, but they're still only allowing 29% from behind the arc. Auburn, I went back and looked. They haven't, you know, if you throw out last last season, you know, with COVID and there weren't that many people in the, in, in the stands, Auburn hasn't lost a home game this season. And if you go back to 2019, you know, because both these teams were a little bit down last year, Auburn only lost one game at home in 2019. So it's a very, very difficult place to play. And this is probably the biggest game in a very, very long time, at least as long as I can remember, uh, where they're, yeah. you know, this this highly ranked facing a team inside the top 10. So, and it's Kentucky too. Like it's yeah. Kentucky. And it's obviously, yeah. So I'll be honest, if, if Auburn dips down to minus two and a half minus two, I think I have to play. Uh, the Tigers at that point, but if it if it stays up at three, four, you know, five, it's probably going to end up just uh, staying away from me. Yeah, I, I have the same sentiment. What, what Kentucky's going to need is they're not they don't really shoot threes. They love to get out in transition. By the way, mm-hmm. they, they're pro- they got to be up there in transition, right? I I have to check synergy, but they haven't been as efficient in transition as they're on the half court because you can. I mean, they just dominate the offensive glass. So, and this probably turns into. A, a track meet, I would imagine, when you're when you're playing Auburn. Now, Kentucky has ball handlers; they can take care of the ball. It'll be interesting to see Toppin. I think on Jabari Smith, I think that might be the way to go. I think Kentucky will have to, you know, they're going to have to. Grady's going to have to have a big day. I think shooting threes. That's going to be, I think, the key for Kentucky. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily. This Kentucky team has played at a top ten level. I just don't know if they're ready yet for this big of a win on the road they're the roster's still coming together like how's still tweaking some things you know he was saying the other day like he's like i wanted to see ty ty washington in a big spot and he had a couple shots i mean that was against texas a&m went one of 23 from three and they had to pull away late obviously it was a look ahead spot but i mean their road games this year they lost at notre dame you know and they lost at lsu granted they had some injuries in that game they, you know, then they won at Vandy and they won at Texas A&M. This is a much different test. So, again, it's going to come down to the number. I think Auburn, if it comes out short, two, two and a half, I agree. I think Auburn will be the look. If it's Kentucky six, give me Kentucky at six. If it's in that where I think maybe three, three and a half, it's probably a pass, maybe look live, but should be a fantastic game. Even as a Kentucky fan, I think Auburn gets it done. All right, let's move on to the Saturday rundown, and that's where we're going to cover any other spots that we had. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. You know, let's start with Army-Navy. You got a nice little rivalry game at the same time as Auburn-Kentucky, actually, but so, CBS Sports Network. Who's CBS Sports in, Network, Navy? yeah, for little Army-Navy. So Navy, second luckiest team in college basketball by shot quality record luck. Uh, their actual record is 12 and six, but their shot quality record is eight and 10. They have really overperformed offensively. And Army actually has a better offense based on the quality of shots that they've taken, even though Navy is ranked, you know, well above them in adjusted offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Regression is really going to start coming for Navy. And it came actually this week against, they lost at home to Lehigh, who's outside the top 300 in the Ken Palm rankings. Army's 
three point defense is quite bad, but Navy doesn't take a lot of three pointers. It's, you know, a decent matchup for army. They are very good at defending at the rim. Navy's outside the top 250 and two point field goal percentage. And army really doesn't allow people to go to the free throw line at all. On the flip side, Navy also a really good three point defense, but army much like Navy, they don't take a lot of three pointers either. So Navy defense, that's allowing 59% on shot attempts at the rim. I think this is a decent matchup for Army, plus the rivalry game. Uh, so they'll be up for this one. Ken Palmett has it at Navy minus 11 right now. I really hope I, if I can get double digits on uh, the Black Knights, but I'd play it down to plus nine and a half. Army, it's Army Navy. Should we just take yeah. the under? Is that how it works in college yeah. basketball? Oh, is that what's the um, going to be? 115? Yeah, and I don't know. It'd probably be like 130. If it, I guess the key number is one. If 134, if you can get under 30, not 134, <laughs> 34. All right, let's throw. I'm going to actually throw out a team we talked about earlier in the show. I think Miami is going to get it done against Florida State, and they're projected a very short home favorite. It doesn't help that Florida State. Look, they're coming off an overtime win against Duke. By the way, you better hope this game doesn't go to overtime if you bet Miami. Uh, Florida State's won an NCAA record 13 straight games in overtime. Two of them came against Miami, by the way, and they beat Miami <laughs> nine straight times, eight or nine straight times. They've owned Miami, but they the last game they played, Miami should have won. And I think that says a lot about this matchup and this Miami team because that game was on the road at Florida State, the game after Miami won at Duke, right? Like awful spot. They were right there for the win, controversial call at the end. And then Miami comes back. They just blitz UNC. Florida State's also coming up that Duke game. And then they had a game today, like against North Florida. So just like throws off their prep and, and rest. Um so, but I think it's a good matchup for Miami. Um, they have excelled against the press, 90th percentile. Florida State likes to throw a press out there sometimes. They have a ton of options that can attack in isolation. Like Florida State kind of force you into isolation. They have a number of ball handers that can create their 88th percentile and in, in, in buckets in isolation. And Miami turns the ball over, fifth lowest rate in the nation. That's enormous against Florida State. It forces you into a lot of turnovers with all their length. They rank top 25 in tournaments for. So I think that this is Miami, like that loss. They've lost eight straight to Florida State a couple games ago. They should have won that game. I think this is a statement game for Miami against a still inexperienced Florida State team that is trending up. But I think Miami gets this done. I would love to get them at like minus one or two at home. What else you got? Let's go to the Missouri Valley. I'm in Southern Illinois and Bradley. I think it's a decent spot to sell high off on Bradley coming off a huge upset win. Uh, unfortunately, at my Drake Bulldogs on Tuesday night. Uh, or no, that was Wednesday night. My bad. Salukis shoot a ton of threes. They hit them at a pretty high rate, around 36% for the season. And that's where, you know, you can exploit a pretty good Bradley offense. They're pretty vulnerable against the three-point shot, 178th in the country. Southern Illinois plays at one of the slowest paces. Uh, they're... And when they're not, slowest. yeah, like is it, is it the slowest? I think 354th or something like that. But when they're not shooting threes, they love to get the ball in the post. And that's another place where Bradley is pretty vulnerable. They're bottom 10% uh, per synergy and points per possession allowed and post up defense. Much like Southern Illinois, Bradley takes a ton of three point shots, but it's not really going to work against Southern Illinois. They're 70th in the country and three point field goal percentage allowed. Bradley turns the ball over at a pretty high rate. They only shoot 65% from the free throw line. And they won't have their usual advantage on the offensive glass because Southern Illinois is 23rd in defensive rebounding percentage. Also, Jayshon Henry, who started nine games, averages around 10 points and five rebounds per game, is out indefinitely with a head injury. So Ken Palm has us at uh, plus or Bradley minus four. I'd love to get Southern Illinois at that number, but I'd play plus three or better for the Salukis. 
were you going to Drake games during that like stretch when they went like yeah we the, me and 15 and 0 against the spread to start the year me and me and our uh college football editor Pete Rudin who also lives in Des Moines with me uh we went to the Drake Illinois State game when they were I believe yeah 15 and 0 against the spread and that was they didn't the, cover that game right oh, first game they didn't cover they won by like one in overtime <laughs> it was it was funny like Illinois State just played a zone and, and Drake could not buy it like make a three to save their lives so we basically ruined their streak but yeah it was <laughs> it was kind of fun there for a little while uh, to have you know well, a hometown team with the best team against the spread yeah I ha- I was against them that game fortunately but now we know <clears throat> that if uh, we ever need you to go end a streak we can send you absolutely uh, to the game I'll go another one I have circled here I'm gonna go. Not a surprise. I'm going to go with Tennessee at home against LSU. Tennessee, look, they got blown out in that game. But that game, they shot 6 of 24 from three. They're not a great three-point shooter, but they're not that bad. They missed 14 free throws. And LSU, they yes, they've lost two straight. But I think this is just them coming back down to earth. And they still haven't even had any of their regression. They lost to Alabama, and Alabama missed every shot. Yeah. They went 0 of 14 from three in the second half and missed every free throw possible mm-hmm. uh, down the stretch. Brutal if you had Alabama, like minus three or four. So, you know, for the season, LSU opponent shooting 26% from three, 63% from the line. Both are five, the top five or the luckiest five in, in the nation. The th- craziest thing is that they, they give up a ton of free throws and they give up a lot of threes. They're, they're 347th in three-point attempts allowed. So, like, them ha- being lucky in those two departments is even bigger because teams are getting so many looks from the line in three. So, I think it's a, a, a really good spot for Tennessee. Look, in contrast to LSU – Opponents, Tennessee's opponents, 38.1% from three in conference play against Tennessee. This is one of the best defenses in the country. Some regression coming on both sides here. I think that it's a, a pretty good spot for this Tennessee defense that can, especially if Pinson doesn't play, that can force LSU into tons of turns. You know, LSU offense is just also brutal. So I think it's a great spot to get the balls at home. Yeah, I think the last time that you played, I believe, obviously, you know, or LSU beat Tennessee pretty badly, but the postgame win expects, yeah, I believe was – 50 50, you know, based yep. on the yep. quality. So this is, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And we talked about it last week. I look, I did look at that spot as well. It's one of those things where Tennessee grades out so well analytically. And then you watch them. And like we said, they go through these lulls and shooting. And you're like, why did I take this team that just can't buy a shot for a five minute stretch? So let's yep. hope that doesn't happen. And let's say the hope the regression just hits LSU like a, like a freight train on Saturday. Cause yeah, I'll probably end up being on Tennessee as well. Yeah. It's similar to like uh, last week I mentioned. When I was on Mississippi State against Alabama, like Alabama had lost two in a row, but I was like, I, I don't see it. And with this matchup, and so I, I think it's the same thing. I think LSU drops their third straight. Uh, you know, then they get Texas A&M at home, TCU, Ole Miss at home, Vandy. They're going to go on a run, and then we can start fading them again. You got anything else? Let's go late night, a little Pac-12 after dark, UCLA, Colorado. Ken Palm has us at UCLA minus six. I think this is a really, really good spot for Colorado, who's starting to trend in the right direction after a tough start this season. They lost to UCLA December 1st in Los Angeles, 73-61. But, you know, this is a UCLA team, after they came out of their COVID pause, they haven't looked that great. They lost in overtime at home to Oregon. Colorado offensively, they don't shoot a ton of threes. In fact, they're one of the lowest three-point rates in the country, but they do love to play in transition. That's where they about 27% of their field goal attempts come. UCLA is one of the worst transition defenses in the country. They're allowing 1.13 points per possession in transition and are bottom 5% of college basketball per synergy. UCLA has kind of relied on second chance points to, you know, get them through this. They're top 40 offensive rebounding team. Their three-point rate, even though they have great three-point shooters, the three-point rate is actually pretty low 
uh, 271st in the country. They're shooting around 51% from behind the arc, but Colorado is a fantastic defensive rebounding team. They have the eighth best defensive rebounding percentage in their top 80 in two-point field goal percentage and field goal percentage allowed at the rim. So for UCLA, who's playing Utah tonight in Utah, this is two road games in two nights in the altitude of Boulder. It's a great spot for Colorado. Ken Palm, like I said, has it at minus six. I'd love it at six, but I'd probably play anything down to plus four and a half for the Buffaloes. Yeah, even better if Colorado loses to USC tonight yep. and UCLA blows the doors off Utah. But that is one of the toughest trips in all of college basketball when you yep. do that that double, that Utah to Colorado altitude double road trip. Uh, I'll throw one more out here, and I'll go right up on ActionNetwork.com and the Action Network app for all my favorite spots on Saturday. But Furman, man, I've had this spot circled since last year. I hope <laughs> they do. They got swept by Wofford two years ago. Then last year – well, they yeah, then last – I think they lost in the conference – final or tournament Wofford's been a thorn in their side last year they got swept by Wofford again and in the final game they all they had to do is beat Wofford they would have won their first regular SoCon regular season title in 40 years they lost it on a layup at the bell and because someone else won in overtime so they ended up losing the conference title because of Wofford and then Wofford ended up I think getting the one seed they got the three seed and then they lost to VMI because they had a play that didn't get a bye like it, it all and then all a lot of these same guys are back one of the most experienced teams in the country this is they, they, this is their home. Like you're going to get them plus three, plus four. I think Wofford's defense has been very vulnerable to this excellent Furman offense. I uh, I'm going Furman here. I've had it circled for a while. Yeah, Furman. Furman is uh, if you ever trying to stump somebody on like college nicknames, Furman is a great one to try to stump people. The Dins, the Paladins. Paladins. Um, yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to before we get out of here. Let's actually I'm going to bring in Petey Buckets on an interview that I did early in the day to talk some A10. From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential. All right, let's bring in friend of the podcast. You may know him on Twitter as PD Buckets at PD Buckets. He is our A10 expert. I follow him for all things A10, and the A10 has been a fascinating league. So I wanted to start the uh, Conference Confidential Series off with Petey. What's going on, Petey? Thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up, Stucky? Thanks for having me. A10 has been, to me, really fascinating this year for a couple of reasons, and we'll talk about some of those teams at the top. Let's start with the team with the nation's longest winning streak in Davidson, which uh, cost, has cost me some money the last two times out of Richmond and then, <laughs> and then against uh, VCU. How good is this team? Is it, are they this legit? Do they have some regression coming? I mean, the offense is incredible. The defense is uh, eh. But how good is Davidson? Davidson, uh, I mean, I think that's my, that's my read on it, too. I think Ken Palm has him at 42 right now, and somewhere probably between 30 and 40-ish feels about right. I think they're – Offense is fantastic. Uh, defense is very mediocre. And I think that's the, unless they figure something out, that's the thing that's going to keep them out of the top 25 this season. Uh, they're a really fun team. They're a lot of fun to watch. They uh, shoot, they shoot the snot out of the ball about 42% from three, but they're just, they're still a little bit soft on the interior. They don't defend the perimeter terribly well. They've been so good offensively that it makes up for it, but They've got a couple close victories in that winning streak. You know, Alabama was a one-point game. Uh, they held off Rhode Island at home by four points. 
you know, Richmond, they won on a last second three. Uh, VCU was a, uh, was a two-point game. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit of luck involved in that winning streak. But um, I think the, you know, I, I think there's sort of a ceiling on how good they can be on a national scale until, until they figure out a way to improve the defense. Yeah, they wouldn't want to see a team that can just abuse them inside in the post. Like Alabama's a good team for them, like if they were to face them in the tournament, because like mm-hmm. Alabama's not going to crush from the post, and you could just get them like a shooting contest. Now, they're shooting 42% from three. You can you can have seasons at 41, 42%. I think BYU did it a couple years ago. And they run, McKillop runs beautiful offense. They have a lot of shooters all over. So do you think that that's sustainable or there is there's some regression coming in that department? And I think it's totally sustainable. When you watch them play, they don't they don't take a lot of contested threes. And I think that's part of the reason the, uh, you know, part of the reason the percentage is so high. It's not like, uh, you know, it, it's not like they just get hot randomly. Um, and I think, you know, they also they won the Rhode Island game. Uh, you know, they only hit six threes against Rhode Island. Rhode Island defends the perimeter really well. Um, and that's one of the. Uh, Rhode Island does have a really strong post game with uh, Mikhail Mitchell. He was seven of 12 inside against them. Uh, Davidson didn't have a lot of, uh, they only hit six threes in that game. So that's sort of, sort of what games are going to look like, I think, against the a prototype of a team that Davidson doesn't match up well against. And, you know, to their credit, they beat a pretty solid Rhode Island squad anyway. But no, I mean, I think the shooting is absolutely uh, sustainable because, again, it's not, you know, they're not not hitting a lot of contested threes. Uh, They just the offense is so smooth. The sets are so nice and they get guys so open that they work the ball really well. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of the threes are pretty wide open. Yeah. And uh, if Mike Jones goes nuclear uh, like he did uh, (laughs) against Richmond, they can uh, hang with anyone in the country. He's been wild. Thirty nine of seventy four from three right now. And, uh, yeah, his game, if you look through his game log, he is like, he's found something recently. He was, uh, eight of nine from three, uh, against Richmond. And yeah, he wasn't, uh, wasn't super involved in the first few games of the season, but definitely much more than the fifth starter at this point. Yeah. Eight of nine from three and the game winner against Richmond. And I think that arguably two of the most disappointing mid-major teams in the country, you could say Richmond, um, like they have this whole core back and then you add another great player and it's just there's just something that looks off and then St. Bonaventure like this is a team that you know many thought was going to win the conference and they still might but you know they, they get blown out by Virginia Tech you say it's one game things didn't look as great as I thought they might have and then you know then they have this great effort against VCU at home and you say all right is Bonnie's back. And then they go to Dayton. <laughs> now, look, very, very tough place to play, but they got destroyed. Uh, so talk to me about either one of those teams. Idea, yeah. And if there's one that you think has a better chance to really get on a run here. Yeah, let's start with Bonaventure. Um, I think the overarching problem with Bonaventure is that their starters are just carrying way too many minutes. Uh, in their first game back off of a COVID pause against the, uh, when LaSalle took them to overtime, uh, Osuna Sunye played 43 minutes for them. He's, uh, you know, he's 6'11". Uh, he can't be carrying that many minutes. He's had back problems. Um, you know, Kyle Lofton played 44 minutes. All the other starters played 45 minutes. We saw... They were like um, this last year too, right? Did they just not believe in a bench? 
they got so they got away with it last year because they only played 20 games uh, yeah, going yeah. into the NCAA tournament. So they actually should theoretically they upgraded the bench in the offseason. They got Quadri Adams from uh, Wake Forest. They got um, uh, Kulabali was a backup big at Pitt in the ACC last year, or he's supposed to be a backup big this year for Osun. He's perfectly serviceable. Schmidt just doesn't use him. So we saw against Dayton, we saw a little bit more limited usage. Um, Osun got uh, a little bit more rest. But, yeah, Schmidt has never liked leaning on the bench. I think it's a huge problem right now. I think the guys look gassed. Osun is not getting any lift when he's trying to shoot in the post. Um, you know, Lofton, Euro fouled the guy last uh, uh, last night uh, against Dayton because it looked like he just didn't want to defend him. The, you know, the guys look gassed. Beyond the minutes that the starters are carrying, I think the interesting thing about the Bonnies is that they're not a good shooting team. But they also weren't a great shooting team last year. Their effective yeah. field goal percentage was under 50%. However, last year they were a great offensive rebounding team. They took, grabbed about one out of every three misses. This year, bottom half of the NCAA now in offensive rebounding, much closer to grabbing one out of every four misses instead of one out of every three. That is really impacting their ability to be efficient offensively. How much you want to attribute that to the minutes that the starters are carrying, I guess your, your mileage is going to vary on that. But that's a uh, that's a big issue for him. Look, they're going to get Duquesne and Mason on the road. If they, I mean, if mm-hmm. they can win those two games, you get St. Joe's at home, and then you set up a home game against Davidson. So there's a chance for them to get it right. But yeah, you're right. I think you made a great point on Twitter that I saw. It's not even about the drop off. It's like, all right, let's to whoever your replacement is. It's like let's instead of having, you know, these guys at seventy to eighty percent because they're of their fatigue. Like let's get the most amount of time when they're there at a hundred percent. And, and, yeah. and this is only going to get worse. Like as, as a, a full conference schedule carries on. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And a lot of people ask that question, like, well, maybe, maybe the bench is just terrible. And it's almost like that's not even the point anymore because yeah. these guys are given, they're not even close to a hundred percent when they're on the floor. And yeah, one other thing that I think is reflecting in the minutes is that per, uh, Bonnie's were a great perimeter defensive team last year, only allowed teams to shoot about 30% from three against them. Uh, about 35 and a half percent this year and I think that is something that's just directly attributable to the minutes these guys are carrying they just don't have the legs to get out on shooters anymore yep yeah 39 percent in conference uh and then how about Richmond the uh the cursed spiders <laughs> as we say on Rich yeah god they uh they've had such bad breaks early in the season you could write them off as write off a few of those losses as like one possession games I think um Drake was a one possession game. Maryland, the final margin was six, but I think that game was like tied or it was one possession in the final minute before Richmond had to start fouling. Then they lost to Mississippi State in OT. So they looked like a team that might be undervalued. Then they just get absolutely thrashed by St. Joe's in the first game of conference play at home. Uh, thrashed by St. Joe's, one of the worst shooting performances you'll ever see this Richmond team have. They played a great game against Davidson and then lost on that uh, NBA three from Mike Jones at the buzzer. They went to St. Louis, you know, weren't super competitive. Final margin was seven points. But when you were watching the game, I never got, it never felt like Richmond was going to win or like really even cover the three points that I bet on them. What's really damning right now um, for Chris Mooney as a coach is you alluded to this earlier. Tyler Burton is having an incredible season. I, he's like, he's having a player of the year caliber season in the A-10. He's shooting 41% from three, 55% from two. He's a tremendous athlete. I think he's NBA a NBA prospect. 
he's going to play in the NBA someday. You added an NBA player to your senior core of Grant Golden, Jacob Gilliard, Nathan Ko, Nick Sherrod, and it's still not coming together. I think that's the that's the it's got to be Mooney's last year in Richmond. Overall, for them, they're actually not a great shooting team this year. Gilliard's been struggling to shoot, really hurting him. His numbers are at 35%. He's been extremely – or, sorry, 35% from three. He's been extremely streaky overall. Uh, Nick Sherrod, um, unfortunately, just does not look like himself. I think the yeah, ACL he's a, tear. He's a shell of himself from injury. He's a shell. He's, uh, he's shooting 35%, which is perfectly reasonable, but he was like a 45% shooter. Uh, in his last full year in college. So he was, he was really an exceptional shooter. Um, and that was one of the things that made Richmond dangerous. Now, now they're just average. Um, and overall, you know, they're, they're a team that really struggles with interior defense specifically, one of the worst at defending the rim uh, in the entire country. And that's the sort of thing that kills them in crunch time and close games. They just can't generate stops when the game slows down. Um, and that's the, you know, that's, that's what's going to cost them a bit this year. They're, they seem like a team that I'm going to get, that drunk on and say all right one last <laughs> hurrah and bet them to win the a10 tournament and then they'll lose in the first round talking about a team that might be undervalued the rest of the way I, maybe you're gonna go with dayton who's a very bizarre team because early in the year i'm like this team stinks you lose at home to umass lowell lipscomb yep. you, know, you lose 78 to 59 at lipscomb lipscomb gives up 100 to everybody then you lose to austin p at home i mean these are teams that are like outside arguably outside the top 300 um, mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, you beat Kansas and Miami. That Miami win, <laughs> and both wins look a lot better now in neutral courts. You, know, you lose by one to VCU, uh, and then that would be getting hot in conference play. They, we just talked about they blew out St. Bonaventure. Is this uh, – does Anthony Grant have this team as a legit contender in the A-10? Yeah, I think um, the fun thing about mid-major basketball, man, it doesn't have to make sense. But yeah, Dayton, they 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 have flipped a switch. They are not the same team that lost those three games earlier in the year. They are extremely legitimate now. Um, if you go to if you know Bart Torvik and his website, sure. you can play with the sliders to see how it's, how teams rank from certain games. And if you start the start the season on Thanksgiving when they beat Miami, Dayton's like a top twenty team. They are extremely legitimate. They've they rely on a couple freshmen one of the things that gets battered around way too much is that Dayton has all these freshmen they've got a couple freshmen that are in their second year they've got a couple freshmen that are in their third year because of the COVID rules and everything so the freshman thing is like too much of an excuse overall however uh their two best players right now Malachi Smith and Deron Holmes um both true freshmen. Mally Smith is a fantastic point guard, really fun to watch in the pick and roll. Deron Holmes is a four-star recruit. He's he's a fantastic player. He's a legitimate beast in the post. I think it took them time to shorten their rotation, figure out how they wanted to play, figure out what they want to look like. Tumani Kamara, he's not like the guy anymore. He's in more of a supporting role, which is a little bit of a better fit for him. Uh, Mally Smith and Deron Holmes are running the show. Um, I think Dayton's probably a top 50 um, or better squad at this point. They still got that little 70 next to their name. I like Dayton a lot. Same thing with VCU, I think, as much as it pains me to say as a Mason fan. VCU, if you look at their first couple games of the season, their offense was impossibly bad. They were like literally like less than 0.8 points per possession. Um, so then it got better just naturally because like you like physically can't be that bad over the course of the season. Um, but then they also added Ace Baldwin back and they've looked a lot better recently. They got beaten by Bana, but Bana has always matched up really well with them because Bana just has such strong ball handling that 
Bonnies are just totally unbothered by VCU's ball pressure. Um, and then, you know, they lost a great game at home to Davidson. I think VCU is probably a good candidate to finish pretty well ahead of where they are in the national rankings right now as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they could just make some shots, the defense is going to be there. The defense is excellent. Um, defense is elite. Yeah. Yeah. As, as good as it's going to get. Yeah. I mean, with, in regards to Dayton, I mean, it just like, they still have some turnover issues, but they're definitely turning it. They're definitely headed in the right direction. I just, you could argue that that, that six game stretch is one of the most bizarre stretch early <laughs> in the season in, in NCAA history. You lose at home to like teams maybe out that'll finish outside the top 300 and UMass Lowell, Lipscomb and Austin P. Who's all three at those home, are, and then beat, are, they're all they're all Q four losses. Yeah, yeah. They beat Miami, Kansas, and Belmont on a neutral court the three games after. I uh, just insanity. But is there a game that you have targeted for a team that might have some value or is in a good spot or matchup? St. Joe's is on blowout alert against VCU. VCU is coming off two tough losses. Um, St. Joe's has to go to the stew. Jordan Hall, St. Joe's NBA prospect point guard. He's got kind of a loose handle. He's got some turnover problems. Overall, I think I think you're going to get a great effort from VCU because they're you know a much better team than I think the three and two start in conference right now. But they're coming off the two game skid. Um, I think you're going to get a great effort from them. I'm not confident that St. Joe's has any matchups that's going to um, keep them close. Um, that's one that I'm looking at. And then I think Richmond might be in a little bit of trouble against LaSalle at home. Not necessarily, sorry, LaSalle on the road, not necessarily an upset alert, but I think LaSalle's been kind of lively lately. They've changed the rotation a lot. They had one player leave. Um, they've got two of their two of their premier guards um, that were starting earlier in the season, Jameer Brickus and Josh Nickelberry, now coming off the bench, playing more supporting roles. Seen a lot of turnover there, and they've played a couple uh, interesting games since then. And it, like we said, with Richmond's deep, with Richmond's really leaky defense, uh, makes it hard for them to pull away from teams and uh, um, and and put up big margins. So those are a couple I'll be looking at. All right, and I was going to ask you about George Mason, but you're, you're, maybe I'll say that if you come back on for the, before the 18th tournament, <laughs> because your punishment for losing to my alma mater, who stinks, GW, <laughs> uh, blowing that game from up like 13 or 14 with five up to go, 13, is, uh, yeah. I will not allow you to uh, hype why George Mason yeah. is going to eventually make a run here. <laughs> um, so uh, thanks for joining us. As always, great stuff. Do you have anything you want to plug? Been doing the Hey 10 podcast a little bit. Also um, hosting live Twitter spaces events to wrap about the A10 a few times throughout the season. Going to try and do them a little bit more now that we're into conference play. Um, but check me out on Twitter. Follow me at PD Buckets and stay posted on that. Good stuff as always. Uh, enjoy the weekend of hoops and the rest of the season. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. Awesome. All right. Thanks to PD, old friend of the podcast. Follow me at PD Buckets for joining us to talk some A10. Before we get out of here, let's talk some Friday night hoops and let's go friday night lights and do our friday night six pack and bring in the guys from the three-man weave it's a college hoops weekend six pack let's start things off with uh jim mr and for those of you not familiar i should introduce them jim root kai McEwen. And Matt Cox. So let's, uh, Jim, why don't you kick things off? All right. For my portion of the six pack, I am going with the Toledo, Ohio over. Saw early opener around 147. I would take this up to 150. So if, even if it moves coming into Saturday, I think there's still some value out there. These are the two best teams in the league for my money. We should get an up and down game. Both teams can really open up the floor 
with bigs that can space out and invert the floor. So you get a lot of driving lanes. You get some knockdown potential from Shoemate for Toledo, from Vanderplas and Carter for Ohio. And both teams have a phenomenal sophomore point guard. Ryan Rollins on the Toledo side, Mark Sears on the Ohio side. Those guys should be able to lead the charge, get into those gaps, create open shots for their teammates. Get, I think pinballs a little bit pace-wise more than possibly anticipated just because both offenses should be prolific. And the ultimate bonus, these are two of the best free throw shooting teams in the entire country. So if we need it late, we can hope on a, a flurry of points in the final minute while one team is trying to get back into it. Should be a close game. So Toledo and Ohio, the over, take it up to 150. Jim, I love it. For my best bet, I'm going Nevada, hosting Fresno State. The Bulldogs are coming off three straight wins, and Nevada has not looked quite as good this season. But Ozmakers are doing me a favor. They're giving me the Wolfpack as a dog, at least the early line. And that is nuts to me. Nevada should not be a dog at home to Fresno State. Fresno State's been great, but on the road, they've been mortal. They're one and four this season straight up on the road. I think they lose another one here to the Wolfpack. Give me Nevada, anything as a dog. Heck, I'd take it to Nevada minus one. Great bet, Kai. That was my choice, but you took it. So I'll move on to an under. Looking at the totals board here, Illinois, Maryland is where I have my eyes. This is a rematch between the Terps and the Illini. Uh, First game finished 76-64. Maryland lost by 12. That was in Champaign. Now they get the, uh, the Illini back home after that double overtime thriller. The key in that first matchup was the Terps did a nice job of keeping the prolific Illinois offense uh, to a more half-court, slower, drag-out type affair. Only 65 possessions. That's three lower than what Kempom is projecting this current matchup at, which is 68 possessions. The key wrinkle, though, in this game is the return of Andre Curbelo. And I think people have the perception that he is an over-type of player with how electric he can be uh, in the open floor. However, I watched that Purdue game, uh, which, by the way, sailed under pretty easily in reg before double overtime ruined it for all of us, uh, those who are on the under. Uh, I think he actually is prone to inefficiency, and we know there's a dark side to Curbelo's game when he's not on fire. And his possessions, I think, utilize some other of Plummer and Frazier and the lights-out barrage of cheaters that the Illini have. So I think there's actually some sneaky value on the under on the Illini with Curbelo back in the lineup, as backwards as that might sound. Currently sitting at 141, the early opener. I would take it down to 138. All right, thanks to the three-man weave. This is our first three picks of the Friday night six-pack. We have to fill out the other three. The third one, by the way, is going to be the one that we, and if we can't come to an agreement, uh, I'm just going to use my powers as host to pick one <laughs> myself. We'll pick one of the three-man weaves picks that we like the best. Give our blessing to one. Uh, but, BJ, you have to give your pick of the Friday night six-pack. We will track these, uh, our total record all year, starting tomorrow. So, BJ, where are you going? I'll go uh, to a little Mac Friday night. That's MAAC in Siena, Manhattan. The Mac. The Mac. Mac. Yeah. Siena, Manhattan under 137 and a half. The Jaspers, like we mentioned last week, they have picked up the tempo this season. They're 100th uh, in just the tempo per Kempom, but they're still a very poor offense that solely relies on scoring inside and hardly ever shoots from behind the arc. A little over 43% of their field goal attempts come at the rim, and that's not how you beat Sienna at all, who's 73rd in field goal percentage allowed at the rim, and they don't. Sienna's very bad against three-point shots, so Manhattan will not be able to exploit their weakness. Manhattan also turns the ball over at an incredibly high rate. They rank 312th in the country in turnover percentage. Sienna is a fantastic defensive rebounding team as as well, so this is going to be 
pretty difficult on the offensive end of the floor for the Jaspers to, to score at a efficient rate on the flip side. Sienna's offense has been really, really bad. They're 310th in offensive efficiency per Ken Palm and they're outside the top 280 in turnover percentage, offensive rebounding percentage, free throw rate and two point field goal percentage. And much like Manhattan, they don't take a high percentage of three point shots and Sienna plays at a very well below average pace. So my guess is they're going to try to slow this game down and play it in the half court because Manhattan is not that great defensively in the half court, bottom 25% of college basketball and points per possession allowed. But then again, Sienna's offense is that bad. So I like under 137 and a half points and I'd play anything down to 135. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Michigan state uh, catching. It looks like the Netherlands plus four and a half, which I think is way too high. I don't love this team, but by the way, Michigan state's at, at Wisconsin. They're coming off a bad home loss to Northwestern last week. By the way, Wisconsin won at Northwestern earlier this week. So you're going to get Izzo a week to prepare. I think they have bodies to throw at Johnny Davis, who's been excellent. And then I just like the matchup for a couple of reasons. If you look at Michigan State, like go to their Kenbaum page. Two things are going to jump out to you. They, they turn the ball over at a really high rate, and then they don't turn teams over. I think they're maybe outside the top 300 in both. Well, Wisconsin does not force you into turnovers. So uh, they're, I think, 250th or so enforcing turnovers. So Michigan State's not going to have to worry as much about that. And then Wisconsin never turns the ball over. Never. They're, they're top three in the nation in turnover percentage. So Michigan State's weakness of not turning teams over doesn't really apply. It's not like they're playing a team that usually turns it over and then, okay, we were playing Michigan State, but they're not going to turn us over much. Uh, so I think big athletic advantage here for Michigan State off of a bad loss, extra time to prepare. Plus four and a half, I'm seeing I would love to get with uh, Sparty. I think they find a way to pull out this this victory. So give me Sparty. We have to pick th- one of the three-man weaves for the sixth pick. They went Illinois under. I, I have no feel there. Toledo over. Jim's totals are usually money or Nevada. Any thoughts on any one of those that you love? Yeah, I had I had Nevada plus one circle with my old uh, friend, Same. old Iowa coach. Nevada, Nevada's burnt me, but we're gonna we're gonna. Yeah, go I know they burnt. Uh, they, I was uh, I was with I was with you on uh, what was that Monday or Tuesday against Wyoming. It was sad. Why <laughs> Wyoming just went berserk from behind the arc? Nevada really didn't play that bad. They held Wyoming. To, well, they they couldn't. They made six. They yeah. were six of thirty from three. Yeah, they, they couldn't make a shot. One guy on Wyoming was six of ten. Right. I mean, Wyoming was fifteen of thirty-four from inside the arc. That's really quite bad but the big thing here is what i when i was researching this is nevada is really really good in transition offense or top 15 percent in college basketball and points per possession uh 60 effective field goal percentage in transition fresno state has been a really good team in both you know half court and transition but the average opponent offensive efficiency rank on ken palm they face the season is 228 they have not been tested really at all they just beat utah state who was without two of their best players so yeah. uh, again I, i'm going to be on my old friend uh steve alford in nevada as a short uh home underdog at plus one again and let's hopefully they don't hope they don't burn us again if they do you know what we'll put steve alford in the graveyard forever yeah i think it's a good yeah i mean this has to be the bottom of the the market for nevada and they have size to combat fresno so hopefully get some shooting variants on our side so that's that's going to be the six it's going to be Jim is going with Toledo, Ohio over, which uh, I don't mind at all. Kai's going with Nevada as a small dog at home against Fresno. And Matt's going with uh, Illinois under down to 138. He played Jim would play the over up to 150. BJ, you're going with the Matt Ack 
uh, and Manhattan, Siena under. I'm going with Michigan State as a road dog. And then three-man weave, big bets on campus consensus that we uh, are our blessing of the three-man weave pick is going to be Nevada at home. Thanks to Petey Buckets, Mr. Colin Wilson, three-man weave, and of course, BJ for joining me. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review. It really helps us. We'll start doing giveaways for those that leave five-star reviews. Big bets on campus, wherever you listen to your podcast, you'll find it. Make sure you download the Action Network app. 955-BAD-BEAT. If you want to call and yell at anything we tell you that's wrong or right, or if you just want to call in and yell and scream. Appreciate you listening. As always, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Big Bets on Campus episodes covering college basketball. BJ and I will be back along with Mike Calabrese on Monday afternoon. Three Man Weave on Wednesday. BJ and I will be back each and every Friday. Good luck with your wages this weekend, and we will catch y'all later. Cheers. Cheers.